That's cool. Because that's man. one of our biggest bottlenecks. <laughs> oh, gosh. Are we getting <laughs> Tony, interrupted getting again? Interrupted oh, boy. Cook. Yep, that's what we do. Tony comes in. At least he's not wearing a big, goofy red suit this time. <laughs> What's up? A few minutes. Yes. Hey, Jason. What's the first thing you think of when I say the word setups? You're not making chips. <laughs> yeah, and you're right. not making money. Yeah, exactly. It's one of the biggest battles that can hold you back as a manufacturer. Absolutely. So enter the Lean Setup Guide from ProShop. Okay, what's that? This guide can help anyone, whether you're a ProShop user or not, but ProShop users have experienced a 50% reduction in setup time because the software builds these lean principles into their process. Yeah, so it's a totally free download. You can go to ProShopERP.com slash 50 and you can get your copy of the Lean Setup Guide. Bam. It's trade show season. I'm live at East Tech in Springfield, Mass, and I'm ready to rock another solo show. If the sound of a machine tool removing metal gets your blood pumping, then you are Metalworking Nation. This is Making Chips, where we talk all things metalworking, engineering and design, production and tooling combined with business best practices, technology, marketing, news, and new media for manufacturing professionals. Here are your hosts. Let's make some chips. So today I'm joined by a passionate industry leader, an experienced manufacturing expert, an entrepreneur, a mentor to many, and most importantly, my good friend, what's up, Paul Van Mater? Hey, Nick. How's it going? Good really to be good. here today with you. Yeah, it's really good. I think it's safe to say, Paul, that you are the most tenured guest on Making Chips. This is probably like That's your sixth, quite seventh, an honor. eighth episode. That's quite an honor. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And we've done quite a number. It's been a lot of fun. And it's good. You equip and inspire. So that's why we keep doing it. We're all traveling right now because we're at East Tech. You're on the other coast, but you've been traveling a lot to some far-reaching places of this planet. Tell (laughs) me about the manufacturing community down under. Yeah, I just came back from two weeks in Australia. was down there for the Oztech trade show. Oztech? Oztech, yeah. Yep. Like A-U-S. Yep, exactly. Okay, cool. Exactly. And visited about seven customers, both in Sydney and in Melbourne. And they got it going on down there. Yeah. I tell you, those shops were impressive, really clean, lean, organized, beautiful branding. Like they just, they care about their image. And it's a very tight knit community. That's one of the things I loved so much about it. Like all the shops knew each other. The very first night I got into Melbourne, we went to Australian Rules football game. They call oh, it footy. Cool. And it was two different shop owners that invited me to come along. That's and, awesome. Uh, it was just a blast. I had a good meat pie, which is a thing they have a down meat there. Pie. Meat that pie. They're good, delicious. Actually. I had two of them, actually. I couldn't help myself. But I love the country. And there's a lot of defense and aerospace manufacturing down there right now. Really? Yeah. You don't think of like the Austrian military very often, you know? Australian. Or Australian. Yes. Or the Austrian. <laughs> the Australian military. Well, you right now, there's a whole bunch of geopolitical stuff with China. Sure, and yeah, right. they realize they need to have a bigger defense industry yeah. to protect themselves from that. So the government's pumping a lot of grant money into building defense infrastructure. I saw some news, like Taiwan was surrounded with a bunch of warships, and like oh, it was a test or something sure. like that. So that probably triggers some defense spending in the It absolutely does. Australian It absolutely community. does. Yeah. yeah. So I have to ask, just because like I have no idea. There's Australian rules football, but it's yes. not rugby. 
No, it's not. So it's actually a big, huge oval pitch. Okay. At the end, there's six vertical posts that okay. create maybe five, sorry, that create three zones, a middle zone where if you kick it through there, you get six points and the two side zones, you get one point each. It's an incredibly physical game. It's a massive field. Yeah. There's like 22 people, I think on each side, it's, there's people oh, all really? over the place. Wow. Maybe not quite that many, but it's a lot of dudes <laughs> and they apparently run up to 20 kilometers during a single game. Wow. It's kind of like football where they're like running, sprinting almost all the time. Yeah. But yet they're kicking and punting these footballs around and <laughs> be something it is to explore someday. no pads yeah just like rugby but That's wild. uh yeah they're passionate about it down you know there. we're always learning right we're learning about weird sports in australia so we do this segment and it's about the lessons that we're learning as manufacturing leaders and i wanted to discuss that with you the day you stop learning is the day you stop growing You'll live in an age of endless resources to equip and inspire you to be the best manufacturing leader you can be. So where should you start on your journey? Start with making chips. Your assistant coach and maybe one day professor, Jason Zanger, and your wannabe global sales and marketing expert, Nick Golner, will share what they've been learning, implementing, and practicing in this segment of Lessons for Manufacturing Leaders. So, Paul, I've been focusing on learning two things. Number one, what to do in Mexico. Like, we're not getting the results that we need in Mexico. I've talked about it a few times. It's like, shouldn't be an afterthought. We represent North America for a lot of our partners, and we sell into Mexico, and it's just a small percentage of my overall sales. So, I'm trying to increase that. So, that's one thing I'm reading about. And another thing is, how to use ChatGPT, like, actually oh, I use think everyone's it. trying to figure that out and, right like, now. get value from it. So... I started reading this book by Peter Zihan. I think that's how you say his name, Zihan. And the name of the book is The End of the World is Just the Beginning, Mapping the Collapse of Globalization. And so he talks a lot about Mexico. He talks a lot about how like right now so much of our supply is from China and we really are globalized. But like you just mentioned, some geopolitical strains and we know what's going on in Ukraine and COVID was another trigger for this. So like it's becoming more about regional networks. and. Yeah. To help me summarize this book for our audience, I asked ChatGPT what this okay. book is about as it relates to Mexico. So I'm just going to read this really quick. But I wrote, what does Peter Zihan write about the future of manufacturing in Mexico? And it goes on to say he's a geopolitical strategist and author, and he's written extensively about it. According to Zihan, Mexico has several advantages as a manufacturing hub, including its location, its young and growing population, and its proximity to the United States. He argues that the location makes it an ideal gateway for companies looking to access both North and South American markets. All that's kind of obvious, right? He also notes that Mexico has made significant improvements to its infrastructure in recent years, including investments in ports, highways, and airports. So the logistics and transportation is stronger and making it easier to do business. And then additionally, they have a large and growing workforce with a significant number of young people entering the workforce each year. And that's driving a lot of economic growth and attracting investment from foreign companies. So overall, he's really optimistic about the future of manufacturing in Mexico. But he also notes that there's challenges that they need to address like improving education and training for workers, something we'll talk about today, reducing corruption. Yep, we've heard of that one. And addressing security concerns. However, he believes that the advantages as a manufacturing hub make it a strong contender for continued growth in the sector. So 
then I asked ChatGPT, like, elaborate on how Mexico compares to other countries. Okay. And so some of what he said is, like, the advantages that it has over China, which has been the dominant player for several decades, is that China's labor costs are rising. There's environmental concerns. There's geopolitical tensions, which you just mentioned. And all of that's making it less attractive for businesses to do business with China. And so Mexico is becoming more and more of a compelling alternative. Another edge he sees is that an edge over countries like Brazil or Argentina, Mexico has a more developed infrastructure and a closer relationship with us because of like the, what is it? The USMCA, United States, Mexico, Canada agreement. So it's easier for us, not only because of like logistics and transportation, but there's like favorable trade agreements too. And they have made progress in recent years, stabilizing the economy and the political situation. So we still have some like cartel stuff and some corruption here and there, but it's getting better. So he's super bullish on Mexico's prospects for future growth. He believes that the advantages in terms of location, infrastructure, workforce are making it a compelling alternative to China and other countries in the region, and that Mexico is well positioned to continue attracting foreign investment for years to come. It's like, all right, cool. Like this is like adding fuel to my fire. Absolutely. Like let's think about North America holistically and what we can do to grow in Mexico. So any thoughts on that from you? Yeah. Very much believe that to be true. When we were running ProCNC, I remember one of our clients was setting up a machining facility in Mexico, filling it with high-end new equipment. And there was some really good trade schools they were recruiting machinists into and operators. And yeah, I mean, it's a truck drive away. It's not a ship. Yeah. You know, it's not yeah. a big freighter taking weeks across the ocean. And yeah, it does seem like it's pretty well situated to be. And you hear nearshoring. I yeah, think that's and friendshoring and all this. What yeah. they refer to. Sure. And, you know, Mexico is, is so near to our borders. So yeah, and for us, at ProShop, it's also been a market we haven't really tapped into much, but there's huge opportunities. Is that there. mostly because, like, so Australians are speaking English, right? So the language is certainly part of it. Is yeah. that a big factor yeah. then? Yeah. yeah. If you look at the 15 or so countries we're in, the majority of them are English speaking countries. Sure. And we just don't yet have a feature to like switch the language to Spanish or French or whatever. So. We did an episode on ChatGPT, and I don't want to make this another one, but it's like anything with technology. It can be used for good, or there's like the other side of the pendulum. And this is really exciting to me because I'm kind of reading a book. I'm not done with it. And I was able to get like a quick little book report by just asking a question and then a follow-up question. Sure. I even asked another follow-up question to compare machine tool consumption from Mexico to the U.S. And like, oh, wow. they do 19% of the consumption of the U.S., which is a bigger number than I thought. Yeah. So I was like, okay, well, my sales should kind of follow the should similar ratio, right? In Mexico, sure. And it's not there. And so it's like it's just a big opportunity. validating this kind of mission I'm on with, with our company. Like, let's focus on Mexico. So I think the evil side of using chat GPT and what everyone's afraid of is like, okay, no one's going to try in school anymore. They're right. just going to like ask it a question, copy and paste, turn it in. The teacher's going to be like, wow, that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, there's now <laughs> tools though for teachers that. that can hopefully recognize when students are doing that. Yeah, yeah. So, but like, it is an important tool for everyone to learn to use. Use it as a resource yeah. at the end of the day. So, All right, well, let's dive into this. We've talked before about the origins of ProShop and where you guys started. And I think it's worth it to go back and revisit how it all came to be. So let's do that. But let's do that through the lens of the passion you guys have for manufacturing, precision manufacturing, and then also like some of the things that you're doing for the industry today. Sure. And when you look at 
the content that ProShop produces and that you produce, it's not like only about your software and only about your product. Oh, yeah, very much so. And I love that. Obviously, like we do this making chips thing and I don't talk about work holding and right. machining automation the whole time. Like we're trying to make leaders better. We're trying to add value beyond just the thing that we sell. One of the things that you've been talking about a lot lately is having an end game, yeah. making sure you go into your business with an end game. And I can't imagine that your end game when you first started your machine shop, it was called Pro CNC, right? It was. Yeah. I can't imagine that your end game was like, let's create a machine shop and then spin it into a software company. Absolutely not. In fact, our original end game was to have a very niche small car company. Yeah, yeah, you talked about that. We yeah. wanted to make really high end cars that had tons of machined parts on them. Yeah. And it was just as beautiful under the hood as the outside, but I never got off the ground. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you got to be flexible. So speaking of cars, we we had a conversation when we were driving in my car and you came to, for that really fun event we did with manufacturing happy hour. Yep. And we did that kind of like bar crawl thing or yep, whatever we called it. Fun. So then afterwards we were driving together and I asked you, what's more fulfilling having a successful machine shop or this new software evolution that pro CNC became. And so why don't you recap that combo a little bit and how you answered that question? Yeah. I mean, there's something just incredibly gratifying about making precision goods out of raw materials, right? You start with a big chunk of metal. And at the end of the day, you have this incredibly intricate, beautiful part that is shiny. And that was a lot of fun making tangible precision things. But at the end of the day, the impact that I was able to have or we were able to have was considerably smaller. We could make the buyer's day when we delivered a batch of good parts on time. And they're like, oh, thank you for being on time without any rejections. But it wasn't really impacting their lives, right? And what we do at ProShop is impacting the lives of our customers, not only their businesses, but their personal lives. I've had people thank me for helping them not have to work as many hours to get the same amount of work done or not miss their kid's soccer game or be home night times and weekends. And that just feels really good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let's go back again. So you were pro CNC or a machine shop. You yeah. wanted to make cars. You were just contract work, right? Yep, Mostly. Exactly. And then how did you come up with this software? Where did it start? Yeah, let me just go back a tiny bit more because I think it's an important part of the story. So my partners and I met in college Yep. and we all worked on the Formula SAE program that our school had. So we designed and built race cars and just fell in love with machining. And of course, we loved cars. So we wanted to start some building some. But as we started this machine shop, which was funded by a second mortgage. And about three years in, we had about a dozen employees and we were just kind of hitting our heads up against the Excel spreadsheets that we had started building. And so we went out to look for some software that apparently is called ERP that we didn't <laughs> know at the time because yeah. we were just early 20s and just really didn't know much of anything. And we we're just really disappointed in what we saw. So we, rather than buying some software and still having lots of spreadsheets, we decided to hire a developer and just build something from scratch. Gotcha, gotcha. But it certainly was not the end game to yeah, and move into it was software. just for yourself like 100 for your own 100%. business to kind of and improve we efficiencies it would just right? take a couple of years to build something and then we just keep using it for the rest of our business career at the shop but we quickly decided to get iso certified and then as9100 and we built all the modules to manage those and it just organically just grew and grew 
And we're just still plugging away, running our shop until one day our biggest machine shop customer saw the software and asked us if we'd sell it to them. Gotcha. Okay. So every time you had a new initiative in your business or a new challenge that you had to solve for, like something you guys weren't great at, you would build the solution into the software, like achieving certifications or whatever it was. Yeah. So did you ever really like get to the point where like, okay, it's done. This is our software. Or was it just ever? Oh, no, never. And even today, never, ever done. Right. Never, never be done. So... Okay, so you had a customer that you were supplying parts to, and he said you showed him the software, and well, he was actually, into it. Well, actually, their production manager asked us if he could come work for us on the weekends to earn some extra money. Okay, cool. He wanted to build a sports court in his backyard for his kids. Yeah, I love it. And his wife said, "Yeah, you can build it, but you have to earn all the money on top of your regular day job." <laughs> so he came for a couple months and worked on Fridays and the weekends for us, doing setups and running parts, and. In the process, he used ProShop to get all his setup notes, do his inspections, all those kind of things. And he approached us one day and he said, would you tell me where you bought this software? Because I think we might want to get it at our shop. And we were like, nope, we didn't buy it. We built it and it's not for sale. And so anyway, that was the beginning. And then he says, so eventually, everything is for sale at the right price. Everything's for <laughs> sale at a price, yes. So how did that conversation go? Or like he finally convinced you or you finally yeah, decided? I mean, that was in 2008. I don't remember the exact details. But yeah, he basically went back to the ownership of their company and they came back and they said, yeah, we really are serious. We'd like to buy this. Yeah. So and, uh, then you're like, all right, well, what so do we sell it for? in our like, head. How would we price this thing, I imagine? Oh, right? like, it was way too cheap at the beginning, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a proof of concept that all the systems and the concepts that we built would be useful to someone beyond just our sure. own company. So then you sell it, right? You get your first install, your first implementation. And the proof of concept is, okay, they're interested, but really it's like you need to see if they're getting success too. So of talk course. about that. Like, what did it do for that? Yeah. Customer? So first of all, what they were, so they were not a job shop like us. Okay. They were an OEM. They made aircraft hardware. Okay. So mostly interior components for galleys and kitchens and lavatories and coat racks and all sorts of stuff like that. And they were a company of about 35 people at the time. They did a ton of machining in-house as well as outsource a bunch of machining to other shops like us. Okay. And when they installed ProShop within... I don't know, three or so months after going live, they freed up two full-time expediters that all they were doing were running around expediting hot jobs that they just didn't need anymore. Gotcha. So they repurposed them into different positions. They also had two full-time planners that were using their old ERP system to plan out their jobs and get everything ordered and scheduled and ready to go. And they were able to eliminate one of those positions so one person could do twice as many jobs. Wow, wow. So that was 10% of their company almost that they freed up all this overhead labor and wow. repurpose it to more value-added positions. So now you're like, wow, talk about validation. Not only did you get someone who wanted to buy your product, but they got incredible ROI on it, especially because you probably sold it way too cheap anyway. So Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was super validating. And then, like I said, they outsourced work to a bunch of other machine shops. They had a couple of other shops that weren't as good performing as ProCNC. Mm -hmm. So they said, would you mind if we introduced you to these other shops? Mm -hmm. And we're like, you mean our competitors, our direct competitors? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're like, yeah, right. those people. So we said, sure. And we did it a couple more times, again, with just raving success. At that point, we were making plans to sell the machine shop. Gotcha. Because yeah, at some point, it's just like a conflict of interest, right? Like if you didn't sell the machine shop, 
You're just and, and creating we more and more have competition. Our, we just didn't want to be spread too thin. Sure. You know, we wanted to go all in on the software. Yeah. Yeah. There's something to be said about like focus. And I know a little bit about trying to do too many things at once as you look at, at our <laughs> trade show booth here where I have like six different business units. So yeah, I feel you. Okay. So your passion is for machining. It always has been like even the software is mostly for machining. And mm-hmm. I asked you once, like, is that all pro shops ever going to be is like a machining ERP or like a right. machine shop ERP. And why don't you tell me like where you're headed if you see yourselves getting outside of that or yeah so i always think of our ideal client profile as sort of a bullseye okay in the center of the bullseye is precision machine shops in regulated industries okay right think aerospace shops defense shops nuclear oil and gas medical something you need a special certification yeah i mean that's really where we add the most value is when you need the qms totally integrated so it's not a separate piece of software a whole bunch of spreadsheets or word documents but outside of those that bullseye is concentric rings so just outside of that might be fabricators you know doing sheet metal work not quite as perfect for us but still pretty decent think additive think companies doing complex engineering processes right that first customer yeah they did machining but that was only one component of what they did what they really did was designed and built precision assemblies Lots of engineering work, lots of assembly work. More like a company similar to mine where we're doing machining, but it's part of a larger system. Yeah, so complex bombs and managing all that. Sure. I often, as people, if they follow me on LinkedIn, they know I do a lot of shop tours. I go visit a lot of companies. I was asked to go visit one of our customers outside of Chicago last summer, and I walked in there assuming it would be a machine shop. So I didn't sell it, the system to them. And it was a cable harness company. <laughs> they made cable harnesses for aerospace and automotive. And I'm like, where's all your CNC machines? Yeah, They're like, yeah. we don't have any of those. That's not what we do. But why'd you choose ProShop? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they found us online and they went through the sales process. And for what they needed to do, manage complex bombs and precision manufacturing with lots of quality checks and lots of things like that. It was a pretty decent fit. Sure. Yeah. And they adapted it really well to what they were doing. And like I said, that first client being OEM, we have a number of other OEMs as well. Probably one of the coolest ones is a company in Madagascar. Yeah, yeah. Tiny yeah. little island out, out of Africa Yeah, that makes drones. I they know. make humanitarian and drones. And you were telling me a little bit about this. Like, let's share that with our audience. So what's a humanitarian drone? It's a drone that only delivers food and medicine and things like that. They okay. don't use them for warfare. They gotcha. have no weapons on them at all. But yeah, they are managing the entire manufacturing and assembly process of their drones using ProShop. And wow. I just learned last week, they're now starting to manage their flights with ProShop, which blew me away. Like where the drones go? Preparing for flights, documenting how many hours it flew, which pilot was flying it, all their QA checks, sort of pre-flight type checks. They're using it for all sorts of these things like this. And even tracking hours for when they need to do maintenance. Yeah, I was just like, wow, that's really creative. So like, as you're telling me about this company, I'm thinking about my brother, we have a charitable fund as part of our family business. Oh, very cool. And my brother went to us and like anyone in the family can say like, hey, I'd like the company to give money to this cause. And he was doing some work in Ghana and there's an island called like Lingira. And there's a lot of people who are sick on the island, like yeah. HIV and stuff like that. So sure. they had to take this like little rinky dink boat from the island to the mainland and that's where they could get medicine then they had to take the boat back and like what he asked for was the boats are like in really bad shape and you're constantly like bailing them out while you're taking these small boats and I mean it's real like third world over there and so 
He's like, yeah, well, I want to help them just get them some nicer boats. Right. This drone thing. Well, that's exactly one of the things they do when they have their monsoon seasons and stuff. The roads are completely impassable and they can't get medicine and stuff to people in need. So, so yeah, they just hence fly the drone drones. and they, they fly this drop stuff it in. off like with a little parachute or something or. You know, I think they actually land it and then oh, there's really? like a cargo bar- area at the bottom that they pull stuff out of. Man, Maybe they is, do drop them as well. That I, is I don't so know cool. all the details, but yeah, it's neat. But just to get back to your question, we are always going to be rooted in precision manufacturing. Sure. Never going to get into food and beverage, never really going to get into distribution or other types of things. But there's lots of needs that are beyond just precision machining. Yeah. That's still a very good fit for the data structures and the workflows that we have built. We have enough work to do in this world. This world that we live in, there's enough work for us to do, man. I mean, the skills gap is so real. Yeah. And so it's like you got to create things that make the companies that already exist stronger mm-hmm. and you got to create things that are going to create the next generation, either create the thing or fund the thing or support the thing. But we need about 200 fabricators for our expansion at Hennig right now. <laughs> Do you? I'm, I'm not exaggerating because we, wow. we're building a over 300,000 square foot facility to expand this one division of our business and the machining side of our business needs always we need better programmers better machinists we're having a lot of people retire i was just talking to a company that had average age 58 oh no for their machinists like you better start fixing that now because people don't keep working until their 70s all the time so absolutely it's a big challenge so your passion is for the manufacturing industry. And we talked earlier about how what you do goes beyond just your product and your service and educating people on that. Tell me about like some of the other things that ProShop does to support like the industry at large and the growth of the industry and, and the next generation. Well, I personally, this is one of my biggest passions. I started a podcast as well, right? Machine Shop Mastery. And all I do is interview machine shop owners, usually of larger shops yeah. that can distill and disseminate some of their knowledge down into younger shops. So that's really important to me, just sort of sharing my decades of experience on what it takes to run a successful manufacturing company. Most of our marketing really is sort of just generic about best practices, sure. not even how ProShop works or anything like that at all. Even that like checklist we talk about, right? Oh gosh, I'm blanking on the name, but that checklist that you guys offer. Pre-processing checklist? Yeah, the pre-processing checklist that you offer as a download. Sure. That helps you regardless of whether or not you... Well, yeah, you could build any kind of checklist with a spreadsheet or notepad or whatever. But yeah, the fact that... But it doesn't only work taking... if you have ProShop. No, sure. Yeah. And yeah. that's the point. The concept is universal. Like you're creating content that's value inherently, not because of ProShop users. Yeah. And that was from reading the book, The Checklist Manifesto, right? Sure. Talking about how doctors use the concept of a pre-flight checklist that the pilots used to do surgeries. Yeah. And the incredible results, they got improved, better outcomes, less deaths, less accidents, just because they use a checklist. So yeah. But beyond the thought leadership, we really want to deliver sort of more actionable, real-world impact. So we've started donating ProShop to schools. And we have, it's in two high schools right now, looking for more. It's in a couple of community colleges too, but probably the biggest success we've had with schools is Eagle Manufacturing, which is a high school student-run machine shop business and graphic design business out of Brown County High School and just south of Indianapolis. That's cool. I was just out there giving a keynote for their brand new expansion. Someone donated $2 million to their program. So they got a whole bunch of new machines, new facility. But yeah, the students quote jobs, order materials, process orders, do all the machining, get special processes sent out, shipped back in, packaging, invoicing, the whole nine yards. They have student advisors that kind of help guide things, but the students are running that business. And I love the mix. Like it's a graphic design and a machining company. Yep. So So, so they're very probably 
new product oriented, I would imagine. And- yeah. And I have a tour that I shared on LinkedIn recently when I visited them a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. They have, I think, six or seven Haas CNCs now. They have laser cutters. They have welders. They have screen printing, big plotters for doing signage. It's fascinating. And it's just super inspiring to see these kids just so passionate. In fact, in this open house, it was actually, there's a region in Indiana called the Uplands, which is like 11 counties. And within those 11 counties, there's something like over a dozen high school run businesses. Wow. Talk about the other end of the spectrum of average age of employee, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're like 14 to 16 years old, <laughs> right? Else, man. But There's student-run businesses that do fabrication work, and they make food, and lots of them do screen printing and graphic design and machining and laser cutting. And it's just so cool. It's so progressive what they're doing. And so we donate our software to them so they can run their business better. That's awesome. There's student advisor Chris Townsend said that because things have gotten so much more organized, they can actually serve more students. They can have more students in the program because there's just less overhead that they need to manage. So it just feels really good to do that and get kids excited about manufacturing. Because as we all know, those shops that are average age of 58 years old, they need some people that are coming in in their 20s. So do you see that program and as something that would have evolved like beyond just that one school or oh there's ones all around the country in fact one of the earliest ones and the biggest leaders is one called cardinal manufacturing in wisconsin yeah i've actually heard of them they've got like a pretty big thing going right I mean, the program is not almost, it's a tiny high school up there, but pretty much almost every student in the whole high school goes through Cardinal. Yeah. They create a lot of buzz. Doing they do. I mean, I'm in yeah, Illinois, an incredible maybe job. being so close to Wisconsin, maybe and that's why I know they've inspired a lot it. of other schools, including Eagle. Yeah. So would that be something where like donating the software could expand to other programs? Yeah, similar I'm to hoping Eagle? we have limited bandwidth to support donations like that, but I'm hoping to, and I was just talking to Chris recently at the conference I was at with him, that building a network where students can help train other students so they're not taking our resources as implementation people. That's cool. Because that's man. one of our biggest bottlenecks. <laughs> oh, gosh. Are we getting <laughs> Tony, interrupted getting again? Interrupted oh, boy. Yeah, that's what we do. Tony comes in. At least he's not wearing a big, goofy red suit this time. (laughs) (laughs) What's up? A few minutes. Yes. Okay. So this is what happens when you try to record at a trade show. Your friends pop in and interrupt you all the time. And Mary. Hey, MC. Okay. MC. She's here too from IMTS. Okay. All right. Uh, Where were we? So instead of just like always taking your implementation resources, you were talking about creating like a train the trainer trainer where students can help other students. Because I always talk about how manufacturing isn't just. You can get a job in manufacturing and not be a machinist or not be an engineer. Like it goes beyond that. So, ProShop's a perfect example. You could have a software background or have like software administration passion. And so, like these young kids can go through the school and then they can be like, hey, you know what? I really like showing people how to use that software. And they can go find a field, maybe working for ProShop or working for some sort of manufacturing oriented software company too. So, I love that idea. Yeah, absolutely. And the best way to learn something is to teach it. Yeah. Like totally. to teach it to others really deepens your understanding of it. And in this event we were at, the students gave presentations to other students. And one of the ones that I just love the most was these students talking about the importance of standardization of process. Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine some 15 year olds talking about the importance of that. standardization of process? And I love what you said. Like, you know, you know something when you can teach it. Yeah. And so for me, when I'm working with my employees, sometimes I'm like, hey, I want you to present next Friday on this. 
Right. They're going to know that thing. Oh, yeah. Because they have absolutely. to present it, right? So it's like kind of the same concept. Yeah. That's awesome, Paul. So Yeah. It feels good. It's cool when you get to live your passion and when your passion does good for other people and supports the industry that like created your career. I think that's awesome. I think it's awesome what you're doing. I have so much fun doing what I do. Yeah. And our whole team just loves our mission. And it's, yeah, it feels just Great to have an impact. Absolutely. So speaking of having fun, we probably got to go give Tony a knuckle sandwich for interrupting me for two episodes in a row. <laughs> we're here at East Tech. We're having a lot of fun. We're networking. We're seeing a lot of great businesses doing a lot of great things for the industry. I would plug your booth, but by the time this goes out, you know, no oh, one's going to have a time gone. machine yep. to go back. Yep. So tell us some of the stuff that's going to happen in the future with you guys. Are you going to be at West Tech? Are you going to be at some we'll of the other shows? Tech. We'll be at West Tech. Certainly be at some of the NTMA events. Great organization. Almost start thinking about plans for 2024 shows as well. Yeah, exactly. We're going to do all the regionals. I always see you at the trade shows. And we bump into each other. Sometimes we try to record when we do it. Tell people how they can learn more about ProShop. Yeah. I mean, our main website, ProShopERP.com. And I'm always a fan of sharing LoveYourERP.com. Okay. I love that. It's yeah. all hearts and pink flowers and stuff <laughs> like that. But it's, it's a joke, but it's there's a lot of truth behind it. Yeah. And then just follow me on LinkedIn, Paul Van Meter, M-E-T-R-E. And he's got a great podcast too. So Yeah. Machine Shop Mastery on all the platforms. And he's been on, I don't know, nine, 10 episodes of Making Chips at this point too. So you can hear him here. So if you like our podcast, please like, share it with somebody else review it give us the five stars or the four stars or the three stars and anything below that just i don't know go find something else to do but (laughs) yeah thank you for tuning in paul end the show for us how do we do it if you're not making chips you're not making money bam bam